Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're going to talk, of course, USC football, go to the coaching search, answer your questions about this team. Injuries are starting to mount, and USC's got the tough stretch of the schedule going to Oregon and then taking on UCLA. So we're going to talk with Dan Weber, uscfootball.com, beat writer and columnist about all of that. we got a lot of questions you've sent in to him. So if you have any questions for us, keep sending them in. We love them. Podcast at uscfootball.com. Or you give us a call at 641-715-3900, extension 816-646. You can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail there as well. Uh, of course, you can go to iTunes.com slash Podcast. It's a great way to subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on your phone, listen while you're running, on your iPad, whatever you want to do. There's a lot of different ways to listen to the show, but iTunes is the best way to get that. iTunes.com slash Podcast is our url for that so without further ado let's bring in dan weber how you doing dan what's going on doing great uh it's oregon week and uh it's been a while now that i think about it and uh i do like to think about that last time the only thing you go back to that last time is uh as much as you like to remember the game there's lane in that all-white outfit <laughs> with the uh the ski cap and I always want to tell myself that he was doing that purposely to pimp the uh, Oregon crowd and how cold it was at night and all that kind of thing. Uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that's what it was all about. Uh, <laughs> and that was the game, the famous game. After the game, uh, Max Nikias, all the uh, reporters were waiting at the, uh, outside the locker room. Uh, he talked to the players, and Max Nikias came out and told us that he thought the game ball should go to Pat Hayden. And uh, I still, I'll never forget that. And I remember Pat was back in the corner, and he heard it, and he came running with this look on his face like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. But Max uh, wanted to give Pat the game ball. So Interesting. Uh, well, that kind of explains a little bit where we are right now. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? Huh? Yeah, that was because, of course, that was that was the best win in uh, you know years and uh, kind of unexpected. Although nothing should have been unexpected with that team when they figured out, even Lane figured out that if you've got Matt Khalil and Red Ellison, you probably ought to get both of them at the point of attack and run right behind them with whoever. It didn't almost matter, and that got. And that got the place quiet. You know, they almost, uh, Monty's uh, prevent defense almost prevented USC from winning. Yeah, Luckily, that guy half. missed the field goal. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, that was, uh, it was one of the more interesting nights, uh, at USC football in the last, uh, you know, five years or so. Well, this weekend it'll be an afternoon game and Dan and I will both be up there along with Keeley. So we'll have a lot of coverage for you, uh, Saturday afternoon at 1230. Lots of games at that exact time. Um, so, and, uh, Deb, before we the, jump uh, in, I want... that's what they call the genius of the Pac-12 <laughs> scheduling department, uh, with 
all the Pac-12 games at 12:30. Yeah. How do you do that? That's like, or all the ones that count. Yeah. Last uh, week there was I a think, whole. Yeah, there's a big SEC game at the same time, so that's probably not the best move for the Pac-12 right at this point in time. No. Last okay. week there was a whole bunch at like 7:30. This week is a whole bunch at 12:30. Mostly because the SEC is on a bye week. They play a lot of FCS teams this week. So I think they put all the Pac-12 games earlier um, for that. But, um, but yeah, we'll be up there this weekend. We'll have lots of coverage for you. Just want to thank our sponsor, Michael Moline Real Estate. So if you uh, need some help with real estate here in Southern California, give them a call. You can give them a call at 310-275-4688 or you can go to michaelmalinerealestate.com. He'll hook you up and uh, tell him you heard about him on the Peristyle Podcast. We'll have more information from him at the end of the show and uh dan we got as always tons and tons of questions you ready to uh jump in and start answering Let's what the, go for it what turn fans yep. want to know we'll do a quick one well it won't be quick but quick a quick question from nick nick from cyprus big nick just wants to get the injury updates uh for usc right now well uh the the two that, that matter the most are uh you don't almost need an update they're you know uh cam smith and uh, lamar dawson are both both scheduled, you know, I don't know if they're scheduled yet, but they're both going to go undergo uh, uh, season-ending knee surgery. And for Lamar, darn it, that's a, a career-ending uh, shoulder surgery. And then uh, Cameron's going to get uh, ACL surgery. Uh, gosh, we were so hopeful when he, he limped off the field. And we kept thinking, okay, that hamstring finally caught up with him. And he limped off the field. And he, you know, he still hit a bunch of tackles. Uh, and I guess it was toward the end of the third quarter, and, you know, no, it was an ACL. I would not have guessed ACL watching him uh, kind of limp off the, the field. What a tough kid. But uh, And then Vianney uh, Talamavio came to practice without his cleats. He had his pads on. He was there for a while. He got there a little late, but he had a, a elastic sleeve on that right. Uh, he's got that meniscus problem. And I'm not sure if it's it's either torn or it's slightly dislocated. I, 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 it might be a combination of the two. Uh, one would guess he's probably not going to be ready this week. I, I think it'd be kind of a miracle. I don't think they think he is. Uh, but, you know, you don't give up on it. And then there was uh, Leon McQuay who warmed up. We thought he looked really good Friday before the game. And we're watching him just, just because we weren't sure. And he's moving really well. And then they come out after, uh, you know, they go in for the, you know, the locker room. They come out for the start the game, and there he is in uh, sweats, and uh, he's taking his pants off. So he's got that patellar tendon issue. He's got a brace on it now, and he was running uh, sprints and loosening up in the end zone. Didn't get any team stuff in. Uh, whether he's going to, uh, you know, be ready by the end of the week, I, I don't know. You might think this week they would. And it's really hard to tell whether he's going to need more players or not. When you look at the number of plays uh, in the Stanford game, for example, with Oregon last weekend, Oregon ran uh, just 48 plays. Stanford ran 86. Yeah. A lot of good it did Stanford. You know, they had like 32 first downs to 18. They had 506 yards to 436. So, you know, you name it, they had had the stat. Unfortunately, uh, Kevin Hogan somehow, and I don't like this with, with what Stanford does, evidently they put in a different center in uh, short yardage situations, and twice uh, 
they you know mess up the the, the center uh, quarterback exchange. That might be thinking a little bit too much. Um, but uh, you know that was all it took. It's three turnovers and Oregon had just one, and that was that was the difference. But if they only run 48 plays, uh, you may not need a whole lot of depth on defense. Yeah, you got to make plays though. Right, certainly. I didn't realize it was a backup. I mean, a, a different center on those plays because those were huge in the game. Yeah, I I hadn't realized it. I wouldn't even think ever even think about doing that. You know, they get that like jumbo jumbo package where they got like nine tackles in the game. You know, and they're all foot to fit, and one behind another. You know, and 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 they said no, no, they they put in a, a different center, a short yardage center. So, go figure. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, thanks for that one, Nick. Let's see. Let's go to, uh, we got an international question, Dan. This is, um, Scott in the Couve in, uh, Vancouver. Um, uh, oh, actually, it's Vancouver, Washington, it says, not in, uh, dang, I thought it was, it was in oh. Canada. Okay. Wait, Vancouver, Washington. Um, it's close. Close yeah, enough. It's close to international. Uh, he said, coming into the final stretch of the season, we have been firing on all cylinders, especially, uh, if we expect to be, oh, we have to be firing on all cylinders, especially if we, Expect to beat Oregon and UCLA. Unfortunately, we just aren't there right now. Our secondary is porous at best. We've had a hard time wrapping up ball carries on first contact. And our punt game against Colorado was the worst I've seen all year. Not only were our punts short, we weren't able to flip the field position on Colorado all night. And we gave up big returns to Spruce. Uh, we also got pinned within the 10-yard line at least twice on balls, which Dory appeared. He could have caught and saved us some yardage. Normally, I'm begging him to let the ball go when it's inside the 10. But tonight, it just seemed to make poor decisions and cost us yardage. I know he has great potential, but it's just not paying off. I've about had it with him on punt returns. Wow. Uh, but do you think we can win these last two games with such gaping weaknesses in our defense and poor special teams play? Thanks for your input, Fight On, and that's Scott McCoove. Uh, <laughs> kind of no, harsh. Probably not, Scott. Uh, if, you're, if you're anywhere close to being predictive of uh, – I mean, I think the, the one – difficult thing for fans sometimes is to say that that Colorado game is also where they're going to be for the Oregon game. I mean, it just, there is, you know, there's no way to say that, uh, you know, what they're doing in that game is what they're doing. You know, what they did the Utah game, they didn't do in the Colorado game or the Cal game. Uh, so I, I'd give them a chance, you know. I don't know. I think I'd give them a chance. And if I were you, I'd give them a chance too. I wouldn't focus probably on all the negative stuff. Uh, I just, you know, I think they've got a chance. And that's all you can ask at this point. I mean, let's face it. You can say, oh, you know, this, it's not going this well, but, uh, uh, they really crushed a Utah team that absolutely just Totally crushed Oregon. Okay, you can say, well, Vernon Adams wasn't playing. Or you could say, well, Oregon beat, uh, you know, Stanford, and Stanford beat USC. I will say this. If Kevin Hogan would have played the same game uh, that he played against, uh, you know, Oregon, that he played that game against USC, as bad as USC would have played, they'd have had a chance. If he yeah. had dropped two of those red zone snaps and turned them over, uh, in the USC game, USC's got a chance playing horrible. So, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, get, get all hung up on 
you know, how they played last Friday night. It was a short week, um, a travel week, you know, classy, smart by the, uh, you know, Pac-12. They give you a short week, a travel week, a uh, week into the northern climb, a week into the mile-high, uh, you know, atmosphere, thin atmosphere, and say, go ahead and deal with it. And, you know, USC was playing a team that they had just absolutely pummeled every single time. Cody had gone crazy against them. Uh, Colorado really wasn't competitive. Uh, they, they hadn't beaten USC, you know, in the 10 times in the series. And, uh, I just think you just get through that game. You know, you just survive and move on. But I wouldn't, you know, get so focused on, uh, you know, what they're not doing at this point in time. I just say, you know, maybe this is the game that Adori, you know, shows them, uh, you know, what he can do. I give teams credit. They're doing a great job in, uh, you know, in focusing on him. They, teams must spend an awful lot of time. Uh, and so the return game, you know, the punters are great and the coverage is great. And he's got, you know, when you've got a step or two, what are you supposed to do? You know, jump out of the stadium, jump over those seven guys that are, you know, within five yards. Uh, there are only so much you can do at times. Um, but, uh, we'll see. I, think I would like to see him do a better job getting the ball to Adore in space on offense. That's where I think, and I don't think that's Adore's fault. He's not designing the plays and he's not calling them. But, uh, but if I, you know, Wanted to criticize something about Adore's game. That's probably where I'd go. All right, let's go. We're going to have a voicemail question here for you, Dad. Here you go. Hi, Ryan. This is Greg from Long Beach. Uh, I know there's nothing new in football, but I came across a couple of old-fashioned plays that might help the anemic running game of USC. The catch is they will only work in the next three or four games because you must have a fullback. And you need a new formation called a power eye. They aren't sexy or revolutionary like the bubble screen or the zone read. I figure the plays work for Marcus, OJ, AD, Ricky Bell, Charles White, and they might work for Ronald Jones. I call these plays student body right, student body left. Maybe Helen can find some old film to check these out, especially that powerful, I guess, especially after that powerful Colorado Buffalo uh, defense stuffed the running game. Maybe Vince Lombardi and John McKay can't be wrong. Hopefully Mike Ray's caddy will be gone when this podcast airs. Lastly, if we can't have Coach L, Sean Payton or John Harbaugh would be nice. Oh, by the way, this is for either Coach Hyde or uh, Dan Weber. I really appreciate the show. Fight on. Thanks. You know, I don't disagree at all. I, I, I'd, I'd like to see him line up. And, and, and you know, it would be really interesting. USC, we often hear that the uh, somebody – Loaded the box in the ways they haven't done it all year, and that screwed up our running game and all that. You'd like to see USC kind of do that reverse, loading up the box and just, you know, running a, a tailback behind a, a blocking back and, uh, you know, going man on man, uh, maybe, you know, forgetting the, uh, you know, the zone run and all that and just, uh, you know, go out of it and knock them off the line of scrimmage and where it's all about power and it's all about man on man. And uh, I don't think that would be the dumbest thing that they've ever done because I don't think it would be that big a departure. It wouldn't be like you're trying to, you know, go from the, you know, the power eye to the, to, you know, some kind of a spread. So uh, uh, it wouldn't uh, 
devastate me if they actually try to do that. Uh, I'd like to see it, and I, I think with their tailback, I think those guys run really well behind uh, a lead blocker. Um, Dan, this question, I probably should have uh, skipped the, well, not skipped the voicemail, but put this one right afterwards. Stephen Poway, uh, it's another Adoree Jackson, another criticism of Adoree Jackson. Uh, this is on the kickoff returns, though. Uh, so I just want to read this, get your thoughts. He said, I'm, am I the only USC fan who's getting tired of watching Adoree Jackson walk out or even jog uh, out of the end zone on returns to get to the 10, 15, or maybe 20-yard line instead of taking a knee and getting the ball in the 25? I love it when he takes a kickoff on the run at the five or eight yard line, but when he catches a kickoff at a dead stop, well within the end zone, why doesn't he just take a knee? I think he runs it out every time. Um, and he talks about there was a Gary Klein article where Odori said he was disappointed in his return game, which I think was averaging like 22 and a half yards. Uh, but he says, should Coach Helton insist on uh, even Odori adhering to basic fundamentals? That's from Steve and Poway. You know, I think some of it is that whatever their schemes are now for the kickoff returns, I do think people kind of caught up with them. And I think you see a Dory trying to discern where the heck is there going to be a seam or is there going to be a seam or whatever. So uh, I can't totally uh, come down on him for taking his time because he's proven what he can do. I just think they've got to do a better job of scheming and, uh, and, and really creating something for him. Uh, it doesn't look like they, they mixed it up all that much. And it does look to me like, uh, teams are really caught up with them. And, um, I wouldn't mind seeing some variety in, in what they're doing, but, uh, and, and I do think, you know, teams have done a good job of kicking the ball away from him, and then they kick it to him. It's, uh, people have really, uh, you know, you could go to school on the way special teams have, have, have played USC. I mean, I, Adoree, you know, the compliment that ought to be there for Adoree is he really has their attention. I mean, those, you know, those, uh, both the punt, punt and punt coverage and kickoffs and kickoff coverage, have really been good against USC, and you know whether you like it or not, that's a you know a compliment to Adoree. They're not going to let him beat them if they can possibly help it. I mean, they are so focused, uh, and uh, so I, 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 I'm a little surprised that people kind of personally, you know, want to criticize him. Uh, you know, this isn't the NFL. It's not Deion Sanders, and. Uh, I just, uh, I'm just thrilled to get the chance to watch the kid play and, and with all the heart that he shows and with all the, uh, you know, not giving up and, you know, competitiveness and the fact that the USC coaches allow him to do things they wouldn't let anybody else do is not, you know, some kind of favoritism. It's just, uh, a recognition of his, uh, you know, competitiveness and his talent and his, you know, fearlessness and, and all those other things. And it hadn't, hadn't worked out, you know, all that well so far. But uh, uh, I'm just not going to come down on uh, Adoria. I'm just not. All right. Uh, let's go to Mike and Irvine. He said, losing both Cameron Smith and Lamar Dawson is a big blow to the team, especially with Oregon coming up. I'm very worried that Oregon's spread offense is ideal for taking advantage of an inexperienced middle linebacker. 
How have Tucker and Hutchings looked in practice? Will they be sharing duties? And should we expect another experienced player like Saro or Messina, Messina's really not that experienced, to move over to uh, middle linebacker? That's from Mike and Irvine. Yeah, I, I'll be interested to see. I mean, there was a lot of mixing and matching today, and and not exactly you know the way we're used to seeing them do it. And I think they're going to defend a little bit differently for Oregon anyway. So we're probably not going to go into too many details in terms of how exactly they're going to do it. But I think obviously Sorrell, you know, with his experience and his, you know the uh, ability to to tackle and I guess all USC fans can hope is that uh, much like the last time they were up there and and um, uh, a linebacker kind of built like Sorrell, uh, Hayes Pollard, I think he had 18 tackles in that game. And Deion Bailey had almost as many. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to have those guys make tackles. And I think Echenna maybe be, be the key, but uh, Elijah one Tucker, I think, is going to be uh, – uh, also, a key. I think those guys are going to rotate in and out of there. And and um, Osa, I think, I mean, Clay guaranteed he's going to be on the field and he's going to get a chance. So uh, I think they're going to see a lot of guys and they're going to, you know, move in and out and um, just to see who uh, who tackles. I mean, I, I thought they really did a good job with what they were doing today with the linebackers in terms of, uh, you know, all the tackling kind of stuff and shedding blockers and all. I mean, they know they're coming right at you and they know they've got to be in this game. And, uh, it's, it's, I thought Sua said it really well. He said, Hey, there's an article at the beginning of the year that talked about we've got 19 linebackers and there was another one that said we were the best linebacking group in the country. I think that was Phil Steele. And he said, well, now it's time to, you know, show it. You know, these guys just keep going to have to keep stepping up, but uh, I wouldn't, you know, I think it's, I wouldn't use the word worry. I think I see, I hear that word a lot, and I just think it's an opportunity for somebody to step up, and it's an opportunity for, you know, somebody to, you know, do something, and and maybe, you know, some legend, you know, we'll be thinking about, you know, we still look back, they played, played Stanford, third-ranked Stanford, Two years ago with 12 guys on defense, basically. Uh, one sub and somebody else, I think, got one play. But, uh, nobody would have thought that was possible. You know, fourth rank, Stanford, power coming right at you, knock you off the line of scrimmage, and they didn't back down. And, um, there's always that kind of an opportunity, I think, in a game like this. So, uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't put your worry face on. I just, uh, just root like, uh, root like crazy, fight on and, Next man up and all that other stuff. Uh, Tarek wants to know, Dan, can USC win a shootout with Oregon? Yeah, I think they might have to. I mean, I think that's the, I think Clay was talking to them. You know, they've got to, they can't, uh, you just can't have plays blown up on them. They can't get to the red zone and not score. Uh, they can't probably get field goals instead of, uh, touchdowns. They've got to get, I mean, you're not playing the, you know, the, uh, whatever it was, 85 Bears, you know, it's not exactly, <laughs> you know, a defense that's going to uh, blow you away. So I think they, uh, I think they're actually planning on a shootout. I mean, I, I, what else are you going to plan on, uh, you know, considering all of the factors that, that go into this game and the fact that it's, you know, a daytime game even more, I think uh, gives you a chance to, 
to have a shootout. And hey, it's almost like, uh, uh, within a couple of hours of when USC practices. So, uh, for once this year, they'll, or second time, I guess, this year, they'll get a chance to make their, uh, morning practices work for them. So, uh, so yeah, they, I think they have to win a, it's going to, they think it's going to be a shootout. I think it's going to be a shootout. And I think they can win a shootout. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, let's go to Chandler. He said, Hey, Ryan. Long-time listener, first time writing in. Thank you, Chandler, for writing in. We appreciate that. Currently in grad school at USC, how or why is it that I can watch all these college football games and not once see a punter as bad as ours? Ouch, that's kind of harsh. Uh, the ESPN announcers kept pointing it out as well that punters usually have a field day with the altitude uh, out there in Colorado. Do we recruit punters or has, have anyone in the, or have anyone in the pipeline waiting? Because it's rather frustrating. Thanks for your time, Chandler. Well, they do have somebody in the pipeline, uh, as Clay was calling him today, uh, Kangaroo, our Australian hunter, who is a, uh, you know, gonna be a rugby, uh, rugby style guy all the way, it looks like. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of, uh, it's not like the Utah guy, he's a rugby, uh, style guy from Australia who also kicks the heck out of it. Uh, yes, he's, uh, well, no, I'm trying to think of it. Is how I always want to call him Tilby. Tib- Tibbly, I think, right? Tibbly. I know. I always want to put the. Is that right? I might be having wrong. I don't know. Uh, it's one of the two. Yeah, uh, whether the B is before the L or not. But uh, I'll just do what what Clay called him today, Kangaroo. Uh, but yeah, as far as uh, uh, Chris Alvarado, uh, it's the most frustrating thing. I don't even know. I mean, and I put a little note in today. And everybody wants to comment on it because they, you know, after they do, uh, uh, they loosen up and do all the calisthenics and what have you. On Tuesday, they go right to team punt. And his first punt, he's standing on the 15-yard line and the ball goes out of bounds at the 10 at the other end of the field. And I'm thinking, you know, and I, I, I just write that just because I, I, I tell, I want people to see what we see and then they see what they see, you know, where he, Pretty much averages, you know, 38 yards in the uh, altitude at, at Colorado, and I, I I don't have any answer for it. He's a wonderful kid, just absolutely love him to death. Uh, and it it looks like he gets out ahead of it. It looks like he doesn't. It's like a golfer who just kind of gets through his, you know, gets through the ball and doesn't stay back on it, and. Uh, I, I can't even begin to, you know, answer why he isn't able to get that ball to turn over and flip the field, and especially in situations where, you know, he's got 30 more yards to work with, and you just kick it away. Now, he was under John Baxter for uh, two years, I guess, and there was uh, a great deal of emphasis on directional kicking and not out-kicking the coverage. And I don't know how much of a factor that is that it's been really hard for him to overcome. I think that's part of it. But there was so much emphasis on on um, not kicking the ball deep and, and directional directionally kicking it and uh, not kicking it into the end zone and all that kind of thing. But uh, uh, it is frustrating, and I'm sure it's frustrating for Chris as well. 
Yeah, it's uh, Tilby. It is. At least I have it written down that way with the Tilby. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I always thought it was, but uh, then it, sometimes you think, oh, am I getting the, the B and the L? <laughs> well, we'll know by next year. He's going to be the guy. He's like a six four guy, and uh, he's uh, you can tell he's a uh, you know different. I mean, the, the Australian guys they move differently. They they just have a different you know, sense about them, uh, and so USC is going to have uh, one of the one of their own. Let's go. This one's a little longer, but I'll, I'll read it to you. It says the podcast is so good. I'm trying to figure out how to turn it into a side dish, so I can serve it to all my relatives at Thanksgiving. All right. Well, that's cool. Um, I'll just have it playing in the background or something. With the highest AP ranking for a Pac-12 team being Stanford at number 15, and the foregone conclusion that the Pac-12 is out of the college football playoff. Can you please give us your assessment of the job Larry Scott is doing and has done for the conference? I think he has done a great job of turning the Pac-12 into a mid-American conference, playing on TV late at night and on weeknights, and just hoping to stay in the national conversation. It was painful to watch a silent reporter hype the quote-unquote real game on ESPN, Oklahoma versus Baylor, during the USC game Friday night. It seems that Larry Scott has sold the Pac-12 scheduling soul to the devil for some easy money. The USC game ended around 1 a.m. Eastern time, and the UCLA versus Washington State game ended around 2.30 a.m. Eastern time. Alabama and Ohio State always play on Saturday afternoon. I would uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on the job Larry Scott has done leading the Pac-12 from his office in the college football mecca that is San Francisco. Thanks and fight on, John. And just a quick update. The, we, the college football rankings did come out today. Stanford's up to number 11, so there is, I guess, a little bit of hope there. Utah's number 13. Not a lot of hope. But it's a little higher than I guess you know four points four uh, spots higher than they are in the AP poll. Yeah, I think uh, uh, you know Larry is uh, you know he's he's getting kind of what he deserved. I mean he joined in joined with the uh, the rest of the conference that wanted to jump on USC. They didn't like the idea of USC getting all that attention going to seven straight BCS polls uh, uh, or BCS playoff games, uh, winning six of them winning a couple of national championships, that really got under the skin of the rest of the Pac-12. And so I think Larry, you know, realized, hey, uh, I'll keep the rest of them happy and won't do anything, you know, USC can't help us. And uh, the Pac-12 now finds out that without USC being USC, they're screwed, okay? They're basically screwed. And they sold themselves out for all these little nickel and dime, uh, you know, deals, TV contract uh, deals that uh, are, are able to put them on, you know, whenever, uh, and, and the Pac-12, you know, put put them against one another, that all three of their games next this, this weekend are on at the same time, the three games that matter. So you couldn't watch all of them if you wanted. I mean, and I'm stunned the number of times that USC and UCLA are either both in town on the same day or they're both out of town on the same day. I mean, it's like, <laughs> It's unbelievably thoughtless, uh, yes. the scheduling, or the fact that at the end of November, USC is going to two northern games. You know, go to Oregon, you know, in the, earlier in the year. Uh, go to Colorado earlier in the year, but, but don't be playing, uh, especially night games at Colorado. That's the last three. On a Friday. The last three November games have been Colorado at night. I was lucky that snowstorm that hit today didn't hit you know, Friday, they, you wouldn't have been able to see the field. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I, they're doing a terrible job. Uh, 
you know, to promote the Pac-12. And it's obvious, you know, when Larry got in here, USC had, I think, the highest-ranked game on television in all four categories of games that, uh, you know, that, that bugged people, you know. And then also the Pac-12, as much as they don't like USC, uh, they have to keep a nine-game schedule so all of the schools every couple of years get into L.A. Well, they actually, they get into L.A., you know, because they get UCLA also. But it was really important to them to force that nine-game schedule, which puts them at a disadvantage with all the other conferences that yeah. are playing eight games because they wanted to take advantage of L.A. So they've basically taken advantage of USC schedule-wise. That always hurt them, the nine-game conference schedule. Uh, they want to take advantage of them, you know, with the television contract where Washington State gets exactly as much money as USC gets. Uh, it, it's pretty, you know, he deserves what he's getting right now. Whether the presidents of the Pac-12 will finally start asking some hard questions, for example, why is the uh, Big Ten, you know, getting uh, $5 million a year and the SEC teams are getting $10 million? And we're still getting only a million dollars a year from the Pac-12 network that pays people like they're, you know, all princes and, uh, you know, bought the fanciest big offices you could in downtown San Francisco and, uh, doesn't seem to have any money left over for the schools. Uh, there'd be a lot of questions you'd want to ask, but, uh, you, you got some of the right ones there. For sure. Uh, let's go to Peter and Fullerton. He says, and I warn you, this is another Dory Jackson question, but a little different take. He says, uh, a lot of Dory Jackson questions today. For, for, it's funny, Coach Harvey Hyde, all the questions were about the slow start. And, uh, you know, and for, for you, Dan, everyone wants to ask about Dory Jackson for some reason. They've, they've moved on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said, thanks for being such a great resource for SC football fans. In addition to the great podcast, I rely on your Twitter feeds to get caught up on the latest developments. Well, thanks, Peter. He says, I have a question for you and Dan regarding the play of Adore Jackson. As pointed out by Michael Lev of the OC Register, his defensive play seemed to have dropped off uh, from his freshman year. Also, his kickoff and punt returns have not been that impressive. He's ranked 34th in kickoff returns and 33rd punt returns based on yards. Do you agree with the premise that he's being stretched too thin and should focus on maybe only the defense or, or only the defense and special teams? Fight on uh, Peter and Fullerton. I'll be honest with you. I'd rather he uh, they did a better job with him on offense. Uh, if it were if it were me, if it were up to me, um, he'd be. Uh, he, we have figured out more ways to get him the ball in space, or more ways to make other teams adjust to him being on the field, and we take advantage of that. So, yeah. So I don't I don't quite agree with that. I know this. There uh, he's having to play. They're all having to play more man. Uh, this year because they, and I, 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 I'm glad they're doing this because when you get in man, you got guys up on the line of scrimmage and they're, if the play is a run play, they're there in run support immediately. I really like that. And now, uh, according to Clay, that puts guys in a little more jeopardy because he says, for example, that means maybe 10 times he's got to, you know, stop somebody and, they, they make one catch on him, and everybody remembers it. Uh, and I think there, there's some truth to that. 
I think some of it may be the fact that some of the schemes don't look that well executed uh, in terms of the return game. And I think you might be getting discouraged if you, you know, keep firing it up in there. You get the ball in the end zone and you come out and there's no, there's no seam. There's no crack. There's no uh, hint of, uh, you know, and the same thing with the punt returns. I mean, when was the last time you saw USC uh, set up any kind of a wall or any kind of a seam in the middle with a middle return? I don't remember one where it looks like, okay, they've really got some something going here. So if you're a Dory, you may finally uh, get to a place where you think, I don't know if we can, you know, get this going. And, and you're out there trying to, you know, well, do I catch it and go this way? Do I catch it and go that way? I mean, when isn't somebody in his face when he catches the ball? Uh, so I, I just, I, I, I don't think we should personalize it quite so much. Uh, in terms of the criticism, because there are a whole lot of things that go into every single play in football. And, uh, you know, it's easy to say, well, it's the guy catching the ball. Uh, you know, you just assume people are being blocked. Well, they're not being blocked. Yeah. And <laughs> they're not, you know, even close to being blocked. And uh, what are you going to do? I mean, how many times has he had even any hope of, you know, without this running – through somebody and knocking them down, uh, they're right there. I mean, they're at a shoe top when he catches the ball most of the time. And, you know, credit them. But uh, I just don't see USC doing anything to counteract it, and I wish, wish they'd figured out some ways to do it. But now I want to see him, you know, stretch thin or not, I'd like to see him, I'd like to see him get the ball more on offense. And, you know, Shotgun did a post on, I think it was on the Peristyle, Dan, about, um, and I think he kind of tweeted it out, too, talking about, it, I, I believe it's on the Peristyle, so if you go to uscfootball.com, um, usually he's on, the, you know, the opponent's best receiver, and he posted the days that, you know, the opponent's best receiver had against USC, and for the most part, below average for, like, 8 out of 10 or something, or whatever, however how many games is it? Yeah, 8, I think 10 games. Eight out of ten, um, they've been below average, I believe, along right. the way. Right, he's uh, he's been, uh, yeah. I think it's overblown the criticism. I mean, I just think we just, he just hasn't gotten a chance to get that one, one or two big you know returns that you know would change that, or they haven't gotten him the ball in space. I I really, you know, credit them with the failure to do that. I think that that needs to happen more, and uh, they need to get that done. Uh, and that hasn't happened. They've been a little bit of grab bag on offense. And, you know, I think, you know, talking about being stretched too thin, I think Clay Helton's probably stretched too thin. Um, <laughs> you know, we know, you know, how hard we thought it was, you know, for Stark or for Lane to be able to be the head coach. And, uh, you know, they had full staff and they had their staff and they still really couldn't do it. Here's Clay jumping into that, uh, and still, you know, taking on the head coach. Trying to, and he's had a great impact, I think, on the defense. Uh, so he's been doing a whole lot of things. Uh, but, uh, but I think, uh, you know, Clay may be the one that, that is stretched a little thin at this point. And that may be one of the things that is, you know, falling by the wayside a little bit was, uh, the ability to get a Dory into situations where you can slip him in, 
get him the ball in space and do it quicker than the defense can react. Uh, we got a few more. Chris in Cambria. I believe that's how you say it. He said, as usual, thanks for the great podcast. Initially, I wasn't a fan of the new format, but now I love it. Please keep them coming. Uh, thanks, Chris. We appreciate that. He says, when uh, Orgeron, Ed Orgeron, was the interim head coach, we didn't hear much about the coaching search until a somewhat surprising Sarkeesian announcement, which felt like it came out of left field. Are you hearing anything about the process this time around? If an outside coach is named, when would you anticipate that announcement would be made? Well, I think it really depends on how the season goes. Uh, um, and we're not hearing very much at all, and I think that may be for the same kind of reason, although I don't think they would dare, uh, you know, have the kind of insider hire that they had last time where they didn't want to talk about it because they they didn't want you to know what they were going to do. <laughs> I mean, they knew what they were going to do, and they didn't want anybody to know about it. So they kept it really quiet. And, you know, you kind of knew who they were. They wanted you to know they were talking to enough people so that you could say, well, they really tried. You know, they wanted you to know they talked to Del Rio or they talked to Peterson. Uh, we still don't even know if they actually really interviewed Ed. I mean, there's some, you know, question about that. But uh, but this time, I mean, there may be uh, an absolute candidate that, you know, signed, not signed, but sealed and almost delivered. And they're just not going to say anything because they got their guy who, whether he contacted them or, you know, they contacted him or somebody made it sure, you know, you got to talk to, you know, this is the guy. And maybe they've decided this is the guy. And that's maybe why you're not, you know, hearing a lot about it. Uh, we know they're getting a lot of calls. I would think, you know, every agent worth anything would be, you know, calling them because you got the right guy. I mean, they'll pay you as much as anybody in the country. I mean, we're talking NFL if they, if they would get the right guy. And, you know, some of the people that they're talking about, they'd have to pay them as much as they're getting in the NFL, as much as they're getting you know, to be the highest paid coach in the country. So uh, uh, it all depends on, you know, what do some of these guys want? And, and are some of them willing to come back to college? Or, you know, I, I, at this point, you know, I think an awful lot, for example, of, of Tom Herman in Houston. But I don't see the, that kind of a play developing at this time. I, I'd be... I'd be shocked if that happened. And I'm saying that's not, not necessarily the wrong way to go. I would just be shocked that, that they could have gone that way at this point in time. Uh, I'm not saying that couldn't happen and it won't happen in the future. I mean, one of the issues they've got is knowing what happened with the words room two years ago. If this team, let's say they went out or they have that kind of big finish, you don't want to screw it up by, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, the word gets out or whatever, or, you know, some sense of the kids, you know, well, why didn't you consider Clay or all of that? I, you don't want to step on, you know, I mean, you know, Clay has, has done a marvelous job, in, you know, in so many ways. I mean, he's 5-1 and one as a two-time interim coach at USC under not the best circumstances. So, um uh, I think he deserves uh, being treated 
with with a great deal of respect, which is what's happening now. I think without you know all the talk and without all the buzz and 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 that's a really good thing. Uh, I think they got to keep that going, and I don't think they need any buzz about it right now. If they don't win out, uh, you would anticipate something happening the week after the UCLA game, I think, and that might mean that they've already got their guy, or they think they do. Yeah, you know, and I agree 100% as far as what, because we're at the part of the season right now, and it has been so slow um, as far as information goes, it's a really critical part of the season with Oregon and UCLA. If if Oregon blows USC out, you might start hearing more stuff because then it's less likely that Clay Houghton's fired. But now, especially with USC controlling its own destiny, you win out, you're going to the Pac-12 championship game, then you got to kind of, well, what's going to happen there? If Clay Helton leads them to the Pac-12 championship, it's it it's a game changer. And I know there's a lot of people that don't want him hired no matter what. And I know a lot of people think he should be hired even if he loses to UCLA. There's a there's pretty wide range from the USC fans, but it's a it changes the game. Not necessarily that he's definitely going to get hired, but if they were on the fence, it makes him a lot more likely to want to hire him if he goes out and wins the Pac-12 championship game. Yeah, and it really requires. From, uh, again, uh, treating him with, and the team and the situation with a great deal of respect because, uh, a big, you know, a big part of this is those guys want him to get the job. An awful lot of them do. And, uh, you, you just have to, you know, you don't want to be talking about other people. And, and, and because you don't know when is the season going to end. I mean, you know, they really, you know, I think you could make a case that yeah, they could win these next two games. And, yeah, that puts them in Levi's Stadium the week after that. And, yeah, you probably shouldn't be talking about who the next coach is when they're in their first ever Pac-12 championship game. I mean, forget the next coach at this point. Uh, You know, the concentration ought to be on (laughs) the first ever Pac-12 championship game. I mean, that's like a big, 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 big deal. And... uh, I'm very comfortable with the fact that we're not hearing anything. We shouldn't be hearing anything at this point in time. And I almost asked Clay today, and I decided not to, but I almost asked, and it was, the question was going to be something to the effect that you have voiced the you know, the, you, you know, you want the job. You voiced that. You haven't been, you know, backed off of that. And we've heard your players want you to have the job. Uh, have you had a chance to talk to Pat Aiden or talk to Steve Lopes about your situation and the job and a, kind of had a preliminary job interview? Have you been given any, you know, details about how this is all going to play out? And I think it's something I think I'd like to know. It's something people would like to know. And yet it's also kind of a real distraction. And it's the kind of thing that even if that's happened, you could understand if Clay doesn't want to talk about it that way. And you really don't know where to go with something like that. You know, it's, that would be all anybody would be talking about if you, and, and it's Oregon week. So you're, you know, you're, you're kind of, I mean, we're kind of in that same place. I think that USC ought to be with them is that you really shouldn't be talking a lot about it right now because there's too much else going on that really, really matters. Yeah, 
hundred uh, percent. So it'll be interesting to kind of see. But I, I was going to ask him that same kind of thing too, Dan. And uh, we, I know, you know, you know, Clay Helton. He's not going to. I don't think he's going to answer <laughs> answer yeah. that. He'll, he'll like defer to you know. That's a uh, you know. Um, but he's I'm, really been up for you know up front with it, the idea that yeah, I really want the job. Yeah, I think I can really do the job. And he hasn't, you know, backed off of that or been bashful about it. No, but, but if he had a meeting with Pat Hayden, I'm not sure he would tell you us. You don't want to be talking about it when you're trying to get him ready. I mean, here's a guy that's sleeping in his office, you know, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, goes home Thursday after, you know, Thursday night, I guess. Uh, but, you know, he's not doing that to get the, you know, the, the head coaching job. He's trying to get him through the next week's game. Yeah. Uh, so do we want to take him away from that or not? I don't know what the, you know, the journalistic, uh, you know, the proper thing to do and all of that is, but I, I think I, I just today decided, no, I'm not going to try to take him there. We got two more, um, Tarion wrote in, he said, this year I've noticed a new type of football helmet being worn by some of the college and NFL players towards the front of it. It has a U shaped element. Can you comment on it? I didn't really know what he was talking about. I don't know if you do, Dan, but you, you usually notice it, these things. I don't, that may be. The guy came in uh, a couple of years ago, and it, I think it was called Zenith or something, and it, it, it's got a different uh, – it, it might be slightly more expensive and slightly – it does things in a slightly different way in terms of, of the protection, and it was an interesting – I, I haven't seen them until this year. I mean, there were, you know, every once in a while you might see one. But this year you're starting to see those, and I think it's that brand. But, yeah, it's got kind of a a, a different pattern on the top in the front. Uh, and, and I'm trying to remember if they spell it with a Z or they spell it with an X. But, uh, uh, but there is a, uh, you know, because you've always had the Riddells and the, the Shuts. Uh, and I think this is, uh, somebody new that's trying to get into the, uh, into the helmet business. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a difficult, you know, business because they can sue you like crazy and, it, you know, you could do everything right and they still can sue you. And, you know, you go to court and the jury gives them, you know, $50 million and <laughs> says it's, you know, it's on you. But, uh, I'm trying to remember the guy came around a couple of years ago. And uh, got to sit down with him a little bit, and I, I think it's their helmet, and and I wish I remembered exactly what the principles were that made it uh, a little bit different from the other the other helmets. But there's a, it, it had a different way of uh, you know protecting the head um, that they thought would be you know worthwhile. Didn't see him much last year. Starting to see him this year. I think that's the helmet. All right, we got one last one for you, Dan. This is uh, we haven't heard had this for a while. What's the latest on the Todd McNair lawsuit? He says, "Love the show. Thanks for all the work you guys do to make this podcast happen." Fight on from Oliver. Well, they're telling us that the <coughs> California Appeals Court has to come down with a decision this month, or they don't get paid. If you can believe that, apparently they have a ninety-day deadline. Uh, to write a decision. And if they don't write a decision, they don't get paid that much. So I think the 90 days from the hearing, uh, that we went to is, uh, is this month. And I think they've got to, you know, do it by the end of the month, I think, or 
early days of December. Um, so that's my uh, my anticipation is we're going to see it. Now they took a little bit of the the mystery off of it because they basically told the uh, you know the attorneys for both sides that we've already made up our mind and you know we're leaning in one direction based on the uh, on the briefs and everything before they actually had that hour hour and a half long hearing in uh, L.A. Uh, they basically told them that they're leaning one way, and that was Todd McNair's way. And so there doesn't seem to be quite as much, you know, mystery at, at this point. Uh, and I know there were attorneys who told us that, uh, hey, you know, they probably got it already written. Why they haven't, you know, issued it, I don't know. But that's the next thing. They issued the written, uh, hopefully the written denial of the NCAA's uh, appeal to get the case thrown out. And then they send it back to the uh, L.A. Superior Court for trial. And from what I understand, it'll probably take a year to get to trial and that there's going to be all kinds of discovery, all kinds of things that they're going to put the NCA through that the NCA is not going to want to go through. I mean, I think they one of the, you know, eight voting members uh, on the Committee on Infractions has been deposed, and they're going to depose the other seven, and they're probably going to go after every piece of, you know, email and correspondence, and, uh, you know, that's not nailed down at the NCAA. And uh, and the NCAA is not going to want to do It's going to be a real interesting year, I would guess, if, uh, you know, if it goes to trial. And all we can do is hope that it goes to trial, because that will be, that will be as entertaining as, as any football game you can ever uh, imagine. Uh, they, I just can't even contemplate how much fun that, that trial would be with the NCAA having to come in and answer questions. Uh, and him and Todd McNair sit there, this guy that his career and life they basically just destroyed just so they could get USC. And it, that will not go over well. That, that's... Uh, that's not going to be much fun for the NSA if it ever gets to trial. So, but we're hoping by the end of the month that we get the written decision and then uh, it goes to trial. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. We got a lot of uh, information on the team, a lot of Adoree Jackson, some coaching stuff, of course, Todd McNair at the end. But thanks again for uh, coming on. We'll see you out there at practice tomorrow. Okay. And uh, now I'm. I know we're not supposed to pull but for anybody, but I think I'm going to be pulling for a Dory this week. To be honest. <laughs> so we don't get the, all those questions kind of coming in again? Yeah, I'd like to see him. Uh, you know, this would be a great place to do it uh, against all that speed at Oregon. This would be just, this would be wonderful. I think that, you know, this would this would work out really well. Yeah. Well, he's going to be one to watch for sure. Week, but, yeah. Sweet. Yep. Well, thanks again, Dan, and I uh, appreciate you coming on. And everyone else, thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you next time, and here's a quick message from Michael Moline Real Estate. 
Most people know that buying or selling real estate is no small undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I-N-E, realestate.com. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.